Welcome to Bethlehem Church Online. I'm Pastor Matt. I'm so excited that you decided to join us for worship today. I hope the singing and preaching of God's Word is uplifting and it gives you just what you need. I'm not sure where you are in your relationship or your walk with the Lord, uh, but I want today to be a blessing. I want you to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that today is encouraging and that it's just what you need. If it's your first time, make sure to click the link in the post and fill out that form. We have a free gift for you following today's service. Thank you so much for joining us and enjoy the service. Let's jump in. Exodus chapter eight, Exodus chapter eight, verse number one. I'm gonna share some things with you today that uh, for me, they were, I mean, it was new for me to, to be uh, transparent. Um, I've kind of looked at this from a different perspective up until this point. And I'm really grateful for Logos Bible Software, <laughs> for like the books and the resources that are available for pastors today, because uh, it allows us to do just literally months and months of research in a matter of seconds. So it's pretty cool. But I ran across some things um, that I thought made so much sense. I mean, it literally blew my mind. I was like, where has this been all my life? Uh, and the answer is, is it's been in theological, biblical journals and not really out to the masses, uh, which is not surprising. Um, pastors preach maybe uh, their opinion, their slanted view on whatever that, that passage is and whatever they think is helpful, which is okay. Um, but I personally, uh, not that I'm some sort of like, you know, Bible nerd, but kind of, you know, I just want to study it and figure out what the Lord was trying to say to them. Excuse me. I'm thirsty. It's been a long morning. <laughs> if you have a drink, take a swig. Join me. But I'll say this. Uh, I'm trying to impart this perspective to you all. And I'm trying to impart it to you because it has been so impactful for me. When I read the Bible coming up, and my parents, like, God bless them. Like, they, they told me, you're going to read your Bible every day. So I've been reading my Bible every day since I was, like, able to read since I was a kid. And I know many of you, that's your testimony, too. Um, but there's a difference in reading a book from our Western, we're, we're Western side, right? Like, they're the ancient Near East. They're the Eastern side of the world, and we're the West side. Uh, anyway, so uh, from that perspective of, like, Reading the Bible not through my Western eyes or my view or my perspective is new. Seeing it from their perspective and finding biblical scholars that are like, hey, this is what they believed. This is what the Egyptians would have thought. That's what we need. God spoke to Moses, one of my favorite uh, authors, his name is Scott McKnight, and he says it this way. God spoke to Moses in Moses' day in it got in, in, I just messed it all up. I've been struggling with like basic sentences this morning. <laughs> Y'all pray for me. Uh, let's see if I can get it out. In Moses' days, in Moses' ways. God spoke to Moses in Moses' day, in Moses' ways. And the important thing to understand is that that's the culture that the Lord chose to reveal himself. Do you understand what I'm saying? He didn't choose, and here's what we do. We over, like, we overdo it sometimes, and we're like, the Bible is for everyone, and it applies to everyone. Yes, that's absolutely true, but it applies to you 
from how it applies and from where it applies in its original context. You can't just hijack what the Lord said 4,000 years ago and say, this is what it says today. It's our duty to figure out what he was saying then so that we can figure out what that means for us now. Does that make sense? This says, uh, you know, this plague was about frogs. What does that mean? I mean, that's kind of weird. You know what I mean? Like, a plague. I could think of some worse things, you know what I mean? Like, here it is, like, we're one plague in from last week, and it was the plague of turning the water of the Nile into what? Into blood. That was the first plague. And, and today we're going to go chapter 8 and 9. So the second plague is frogs. And in times past, it was, and just, just humor me here as I'm just chit-chatting with you. Did you get it out? All right. <laughs> Pass the cough drops. I need one. No, I'm kidding. Here's the thing. I've heard like this scientific perspective. If you think about the plagues, all of them make sense in order. Like if the water of the Nile was turned to blood, then the frogs come up out of the water. And that makes total sense, right? Kind of, ish. I could think of other things that are worse that could come out of the water. Like if I was just like trying to come up with plagues and I was like the Lord, I'd tell the Lord, how did you come up with frogs in staff meeting? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay. And on plague number two, it's going to be frogs. It'll get them. <laughs> I'd have been like, what about the crocodiles in the Nile? You know what I'm saying? If we're going to make this thing bad for the Egyptians, how about we have the crocodiles come up out of the Nile and be like, ah, that makes a lot. How about the crocodiles stand? And, and then the crocodiles have like, you know, uh, AKs or something. That would be awesome. Like God can do whatever he wants. And what does he do? Frogs. <laughs> I'm like, dude, get the frog gig. We're going to have frog legs tonight, honey. This is going to be great. How many have had frog legs? Anybody? Wow. That's a lot more than I expected. <laughs> Man, that's amazing. Who wants to go frog gigging tonight? You and me go fishing. Let's go. I don't know. You'd be down in a second. Yeah. He's like, I do it all the time. <laughs> I killed three yesterday. All right. We want Mr. Dan on our side if the plagues hit us. My point is, is I'm like, frogs, really? It's naturalistic. The waters turn to blood. The frogs lead the water. From there, the fish die. So therefore, because the fish are dead on the water, then flies happen and flies overcome. the. This is the typical response. People try to make it scientific. Like, we have to stop doing that. We have to stop trying to make the Bible make sense for our understanding and in our culture. Start thinking about understanding it and seeing it the way Moses would have seen it, the way Pharaoh would have seen it. And the meaning is somewhere there, somewhere in between. And here's the thing. If we think, well, if it doesn't make scientific sense, then the Bible's not real and all my atheist friends are going to poo-poo on me again. <laughs> First of all, if the plagues, right, are the reason that you're trying to make that scientific for your friend, like, if that's what it is, like, they need other help besides that. We're not going to take a supernatural event and try to make it scientific and make sense. This is what we do in our outreach. Okay, here's the, here's the, here, I'm going to explain it, how it happened. They're going to look at you and be like, that's dumb. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't rationalize these things. That's why they're called super natural. Here's what's natural, and then it's bigger than that. It's above that. God can do whatever the heck he wants because he's God. 
So why do we say the Bible has to make scientific sense in order for all my atheist friends to understand it? No, your atheist friends need to have an encounter with God. And then when they meet God and they're like, oh, oh my goodness, I feel it, I see it, I understand it. Like they need to have an encounter with him. And then they'll see that he's a real person because just saying someone doesn't exist doesn't mean that person doesn't exist. It just means they haven't met him yet. And so I pray for all my atheist friends that eventually you'll meet the Lord and that you'll see him because he's there and he's real and he's evident. But we're doing the Bible a disservice by trying to make it make sense according to our perspective. And our, Let me explain something to you. These children weren't learning, you know, like eighth grade biology. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like they didn't have a classroom setting where they were like, okay, here's how photosynthesis works, boys and girls. This is amazing. Let me tell you what chlorophyll is. <laughs> it's not how it was. They didn't have a lunch lady. You understand what I'm saying? Their lunch lady was mama making bread. <laughs> like, where's my lunch? Poor Adam Sandler. Lunch lady. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a sloppy joe. I, I would love to have a sloppy joe right now. Anybody else want to join me in that? I'm all over the place this morning. I have no idea where half of this is coming from. All <laughs> now all I can hear is Adam Sandler songs in my head. This is bad. This is not going to end well. Oh, my goodness. So my point, though, we're, we're messing up. For years and years, I'm like 24 hours in a day, six days, literal creation. What if that's not what the point was for them? What if their calendar was entirely different? What if their morning started in the evening? Because it did. And the evening and the morning were the... We try, I've heard pastors preach about the Sabbath and today is our Sabbath and we give the Lord Sunday and the blue laws and however, that's dumb. That doesn't make sense. The Sabbath was on Saturday. Like we've got to stop rationalizing. We need to let God be who? That's it. And quit filling in where he doesn't fill in because we don't need to fill in. He doesn't need, like we don't have to defend him. He's perfectly capable of defending himself and he does. So my point is, my perspective is when we start saying, what does the Bible say and mean to them? If God came to me, like remember Moses had a staff, right? And he threw the staff down and it became a what? If God came to me, it wouldn't be a staff. He'd be like, okay, Matthias, go find a staff in the woods. <laughs> and I'd be like, let me find a staff real quick so the Lord can do a miracle. No, God took what was an everyday useful tool to Moses because he was a shepherd. He'd be like, hey, Matt. He'd say, Matt, pull out your phone. Throw your phone on the ground. And it would become a dog or something. You know what I mean? Like it would be like some kind of miracle from my phone or, or you know, like pull out your gun. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Throw it down. Uh, <laughs> it, would be <laughs> it would be something that made sense to me. Because if God was coming down in 223, 2023, my goodness, I was thinking gun, 223, there were, <laughs> jeez, I'm telling you I'm everywhere today. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, if God came to me today, how many guys just have guns on their mind 24-7? Is it just me? No, anyway. Uh, he would do something that made sense to me. He would try to connect with me where I am in my day and in my ways. 
or else I wouldn't understand him. Moses is like, God, I need that staff. Just throw it down. You'll get it back. It's okay. Matt, throw your phone down. It's not about the stick. It's about a useful tool that's ordinary becoming what? Extraordinary. And so therefore, if we can understand through the eyes of an Egyptian what these plagues would have meant to Pharaoh and his people, hey, guess what? We're going to learn something today. And so that's what I found this week, and I want to share with you. Look at verse number one of chapter eight, verse number one. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and tell him, this is what the Lord says, let my people what? Let them go so that they may worship me. That's the point. That's the goal. We want them out in the wilderness, three days journey. We want them to come to Mount Sinai and worship me. The first plague, turning the water of the Nile into blood has happened. It's taken place. Pharaoh's heart is hard. I want to share with you what I found about frogs. And I already told you, I thought it was weird, but I read this book by John Curid, and it's like spot, it's like right on point. From one of my favorite podcasts, which is all in the program, and I would encourage you to go listen and read. The second plague also appears to be a contest between deities. The Egyptians regarded the frog as a symbol of divine power and a representation of fertility. Who would have thought? One of the main goddesses of Egypt was Haket. And forgive me with my pronunciation. It's probably not right, but it's the best I could get for you today. I worked on it a little bit. The main goddess of Egypt was Haket, who was depicted as a human female with a frog's head. That's bizarre. If I was a god and I could handcraft my wife, I probably wouldn't make her with a frog head. Just saying. Quite interesting. We could talk about that and make a lot of inappropriate jokes, but we'll continue to move forward. She, she was the spouse, and this is important, of the creator god, Kanun. And we've talked about Kanun before. He fashioned human bodies on his potter's wheel, and then Haket blew the breath of life into them and assisted as midwife at their births. If you remember, if you've been following this series from the beginning, remember Pharaoh's first attack on the Egyptians. I'm sorry, on the Israelites. How did he do it? The babies. And he said, hey, here's what I'm going to do. My second attack, my second launch is going to be with the midwives. The midwives, when you're there on the birthing stool and life happens, if it's a boy, what? Kill him. And what happened? God was ahead of him there. Come on now, don't stay right here with me. Stay right here with me. God, at that moment where Pharaoh thought he was going to control the narrative, Pharaoh learned that the natural world of the people, God was more in control. And he proved it. And the midwives did not do what Pharaoh commanded. And therefore, the boys lived. Therefore, Moses lived. Therefore, years later, here we are, years later after God, listen, the Lord plays the long game every time. You're here, you're struggling, you're in it, and you're like, this is never going to change. And God says, I don't deal in never. I always win. If you pass away, what you did on this planet for that time was exactly what I wanted it to do. 
and I'm still working long after you leave. And I, and I had a plan for you. It's, it's the plan. You look at it. Moses is there because the midwives, Pharaoh's plan was circumvented in the natural realm. Before God proves that he's over the deities, he first proves that he's over the natural realm. The plagues, this is crazy. The plagues is the step up. It's ratchet. Why would God do that? Why would God destroy and hurt and plunder? God didn't. Pharaoh did. I've already established the fact that if Pharaoh would have just obeyed, he didn't have to worship. He didn't have to step out and accept God as his God. All Pharaoh had to do is what he was what? Told. And they're out of town. Nothing else happens. This became a contest of deities. Here's what some of you need to realize. There are bigger forces of darkness at work in some of your lives than you even know today. You, you think that you're just playing around, but God is like, I've proven to you over and over again that I'm bigger than the natural things in your life. But do you know that if that doesn't work for you, I'm going to ratchet this thing up and I'm going to prove to the supernatural deities that are over you that I'm actually God. Here's what happened. <laughs> the same equation, midwife birthing stool, the midwives don't listen to Pharaoh, right? They do what God says. This is the supernatural midwife. The supernatural midwife, Kanum, has his potter's will. Where do we get the idea that God is the potter and we are the clay? Guess what? That's not just original to us. Every ancient Near East deity had a potter in their realm, had a creator, had someone who had the control. And in the Egyptian pantheon, Kanum had a wife, a goddess, and her name, Haket, would be the one after Kanum would craft that boy or girl, she would breathe the life into, and then that baby would be born. And so now God says, not only will I have victory on the birthing stool or the stone, I'm going to have and show my victory on the stone of Kanum. The sign of an Egyptian, when an Egyptian saw a frog, it's like, look, you know, I told you, boating season's coming, spring is coming, thank the Lord. How many are ready for hot, warm weather? Man, the rest of you get right with the Lord. But it's like, look, when you're out... <laughs> Speaking of AR-15s, when you're out in like, you know, the country, you're out maybe on the island, or especially in our, in our area, like there's bald eagles flying around. How many know that? If you haven't experienced that, I mean, there's bald eagles flying. We saw one out front uh, this week. And it's like, when I see that bald eagle flying, I'm just like, I want my AR, my American tank top, America, you know what I mean? Like, it makes me think, like, I just want to tackle somebody. You know what I'm saying? Never been in war. Thank you for all servicemen and women. But at, at that instant, at that moment, I'm a soldier, shoot. Why? Because I see a bird that personifies what we believe, and it's majestic, and it's powerful, and it does whatever the heck it wants. And I'm like, yeah, America. <laughs> all that comes from seeing an eagle. That happens internally in the heart of every American that's appreciative, as you should be, for our nation and our country. What about in the heart of an Egyptian when they see a frog? 
That's really weird, isn't it? <laughs> We're like, pick a bird, okay? <laughs> it's so much better. No, for them, they knew that the goddess, watch this, that breathed life. Watch this. If Kanum and Haket weren't appeased, they wouldn't get the man cub they needed to carry on the family's legacy. It, do you understand that succession was everything to the Egyptians? If they did anything well, it was the Pharaoh's succession. In life and in death, someone always will be in power to restore ma'at, which is their word for the divine order. The divine order of the Egyptians, ma'at, must be controlled and the gods control. And if I want to have success, what does success look like in my culture? It looks like a boy that will raise up and take on and take care of. A boy, a child is the inheritance. It is the lottery ticket, do you understand? It's not, oh, I wish I could win a, a billion, you know, mega million, yeah, yeah. For them, the billion mega million is those boys. That's the full bank account. You understand what I'm saying? The succession and a frog was, I saw the frog to them, it's the sign, Haket will shine on us. She will give us what we need from the potter's wheel of Kanum. Is there any wonder now when the God of Israel speaks and he says, let my people go through his mouthpiece and Pharaoh says no, why does God overwhelm them with frogs? Here's what he's proving. I have power over your children. Every Egyptian in that territory as the water from blood back into the Nile as it's overcome with frogs in their mind, they're going, what is happening? Ma'at has been disrupted, the balance and the order of life in their minds. They're going, our gods have lost what? Control. The very thing that she is supposed to be doing, she has now lost her authority to the God of Israel. That's what it means. And when they see the God of Israel say, here's the plague, it wasn't about what the frog could bite them or do to them. It was the fact that literally their very sustenance, water, and the Pharaoh was responsible for controlling that, being a deity from the sun god Ra, Pharaoh's line in succession, he lost control over the water, and the very next thing he loses control over is the children. Son. Every Egyptian, watch this, is going to be like, something bad is happening. Ma'at, divine order, has been disrupted. From there, I'm going to shoot from the hip a little bit. Around, surrounding, right, there's a few different plagues. And I think some of them go together categorically. After the frogs come, then we have the flies and gnats. Some people say it's lice. I think that that's fair. The next thing the Lord goes after is if you consider the fact that, remember the, uh, I got to look at it. I can't remember how to say the name. The magicians, right? Remember the, the, the magicians that Pharaoh had? The name is, I'll find it, Hartumim. The Hartumim, remember, they throw down their, stay with me, they throw down their staffs and they become snakes, right? The Hartumim have the ability to perform miracles and supernatural works. No one's, no one's discounting that. And I think for me, like going back to the atheist piece, 
people who don't see supernatural things in life, they're just ignoring it. Like, if you've never been in the presence of someone who is actually demonically oppressed, like, it's, it's wild. People know things that they shouldn't know unless someone's telling them. They'll know things about the person who's casting out that demon. You'll, you'll call the demon out to cast out, and the demon will talk to you. And if you've never experienced it, just because you've never seen it or experienced it doesn't mean that it isn't real. And doesn't mean that pastors and priests haven't been experiencing it for literally millennia, right? So that, that's, it exists. But my point is, is we as Christians ought to have proper categories for principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and where our God stands with them. And in this story, the Egyptians, life was fine. Life was running good until Yahweh disrupted their ma'at. And so the first order was, I'm telling you, you don't have a boy and a girl. Follow me, unless I approve it. You think Haket breathed life into that child? Guess who really breathed life into that child? It was me. You, you think that your uh, hartumim, your magicians, a better translating would be the lectern priests, actually. Your priests that are working for Pharaoh, that are performing rituals, that are performing priestly duties within Egypt, they were the ones. Now remember, uh, if you see pictures of sometimes these hartumim or these priests in the Egyptian culture, they're hairless, they're shaved completely. These monks, right? Uh, you, you've seen that and experienced those in other cultures that we've seen. Why is that? Well, because hair is a place where lice and gnats and flies can lodge. And according to their own ritual practices, they can't do priestly duties if they are unclean. And those insects are what? Unclean. So literally in their tradition, they would completely shave themselves, hairless, so that they could make sure when performing priestly duties, they would be doing so completely clean. And if they were ceremonially unclean, they had to be cleansed before they could partake. And some of this is in uh, the Jewish culture as well. Let me help you with this. Why would God send lice? Is that just like some kind of like horrible thing so that people are just running around itching? This is horrible. Yeah, it would be bad. I would agree. There's something greater there. What is it? Yeah, and all of the shelves were like wiped out of, what is it, rid? <laughs> you know what I mean? All the mayonnaise jars are out. All the women walking around with the mayonnaise in their hair. This is horrible. Yeah, it would be terrible. But that's not the point. The priest could not perform their rituals to their God. I told you to let my people go so that they can come and what? Worship me. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Your priests, your heart to me. Not only am I going to tell the people that the frog is out of the bag and, and literally they wouldn't have the children that they have if it wasn't for me. The second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to render your priests useless. They will not be able to ceremonially in a clean way serve their people. So now the people are going, it's not our God that's in charge. And when I have a problem and I'm going to my priest, my priest is stricken with lice. And ceremonially, anything he does, guess what? Is empty. It's not going to work. 
Tied with that, the next plague is to kill the livestock. This is really strange, but it's what they believed. Moses' days and Moses' ways. And mind you, what house did Moses grow up in? Moses got all this. He was like, that was a good one, God. That was a good one. He knew. Why? Because he knew how they thought. Often depicted in Egyptian literature are bulls and the strength of bulls. Many of their goddesses are wearing the, the horns of bulls. It's said that the strength of their men are inseminated with the strength of the bull. And so their gods, uh, Haket, breathing the breath of life, Kanum receives the power from the bull cults and the bull gods to inseminate, if you will, their men. The strength of the culture comes from the bull. And all their cows just died. Okay, uh, just in case you were wondering if this was going to work out or end well for you, that just, you flush that right down the toilet. Frogs and bulls, dead. And then, just in case you're wondering, priests, if you can tell some kind of fib and say, oh no, we don't have lice, we don't have any, we're going to go perform our priestly duties, God strikes them with boils. The Bible literally says that they were unable to get up. In other words, they were unable to even make it to the temple. So even if you want to lie about it and say that you can actually perform priestly duties, guess what? Now you can't even leave the house. This was an all-out attack, not on Pharaoh, but on the deities that ruled Egypt. I believe firmly that the Lord gave over. How many are cold? How many are just right? Okay, good. All right, we're good. Some of you are cold, but I see they got, they got uh, sweaters. <laughs> I was burning up. Follow me on this. I'm trying to remember where I was going with that. It'll come back. If you have a drink, take a swig. <laughs> mm. The all-out attack was on the deities of Egypt, the gods of Egypt. And some here, here's what you have to see. There's a disconnect between Pharaoh, right, and his deities and what the Lord was actually doing. And, and I want us to see that because sometimes we blame God for really horrible things, but what we don't understand is those horrible things are actually God answering a deity that is controlling the human being because the human being has given themselves to that deity or to that principality or to that power. So therefore, it is God doing what he has to do because he's just. Now, let's, let's put all this together. How many of this is making sense? Okay, good. All right. The last one in chapter 8 and 9 is hail. Everybody say hail. Don't cuss in church. No, I'm kidding. Sound like you're from the south. Hail. 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 So from this perspective of like, now, now our gods are rendered useless. Our priests can't get in touch with our useless gods. What could make matters worse? God's like, I'm going to rain hail down. Can you imagine State Farm that day? I mean, they'd be like, oh, no, <laughs> act of God clause. You know what I mean? Like, here comes the hail. Jimmy, it would have been a good day to be a roofer, wouldn't it? <laughs> Jimmy, I'm, my name's Jimmy, and I'm from Amazing, and I can take care of that hail problem for you. <laughs> Call them if you have a problem. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's like 
literally when now my whole entire religious system has been wrecked, the sky is literally what? Falling. I mean, you talk about sticking a fork in. We now are at the place where I I don't need anything from Pharaoh. Everything coming out of Pharaoh's mouth is pretty much a lie at this point. And for him to say that he has any sort of control after we've been proven that the people Pharaoh works for are useless, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? A condensed format working through it. And make sure you visit the program today because the God's names and things are in there and you can check it out. Don't get it twisted. Here's my thought as we kind of put a bow on it. God is in control of everything and has the final say. God is in control of everything and has the final say. I don't believe that God plays chess against himself. I think there are some people and some traditions of Christianity that believe that God is like a puppeteer. You know what I mean? Like he controls the good and the bad. I don't believe that. I believe that if, look, if you have an angel, right? And I believe that the gods of Egypt were fallen angels, fallen Elohim, right? I believe we have a context for understanding who these deities were. I believe that they were real, just lesser gods, lesser than who, look at Psalm 82. You know, there, uh, there are places for us to understand and unpack this, but here's what I'm saying. Follow me on this. Uh, the, the idea, the struggle here that God is playing or working both sides of the fence, I think we, I, I don't think it's in the text. And if you think about like a fallen angel, a fallen deity, if they were given a specific job, here's where I was going with that, took me a second. If they were given a specific job and they rebelled against God, that shows free will and volition, doesn't it? If, let's say Lucifer, Satan, right? This, if he was an archangel, you know, the book of Enoch says that there were like seven archangels and we know that he was probably one of them. And he was like, hey God, deuces, I'm going to do my own thing. And angels were created with a specific purpose. Human beings are a higher order than that, we know. Created in God's image for us to have conversation with God and a relationship with God, not even a specific job other than to have dominion and and work and control what happens on the earth. God says, hey, don't do that, do this. And we what? Screwed it up. Why? Because we made a what? A decision. We made a choice. And so for people to say, people don't really have choices. God just kind of does what God is going to do. And it all just kind of works out on the other end. I don't see that in scripture. And here's why that's both good and bad. Why is it bad? Because we have a choice. (laughs) Why is it good? Because we have a choice. We can really make a mess, but we can also make amends. Think about that. Don't don't miss it. Why? Because everything that's happening is happening for a reason. And God isn't sitting down at the table playing chess, moving a white piece and going to the other side and controlling Pharaoh and moving a black piece and coming back. No, God is on one side, his side, the side, the only side. And he says, you can do it my way or you can choose your way. My way ends well every time because I'm the best supreme being of the universe. 
your way, if it's against my way, I'm sorry, I love you, but it's not going to work out because I'm better than you. God just thinks he's better than me. Yes, he does because he's God. Why is he so mean and just and oh my goodness. If we had for two seconds the choices that God had to make in our minds, our brains would explode. And <laughs> make some good South Park episode, wouldn't it? I'm just saying, like, it's like we we really gotta focus on some things here. And here's what it is. I'm gonna bring this scene together. Egypt was concerned with one thing, ma'at, balance, divine order. Pharaoh's job is to keep ma'at, keep the peace, appease the gods. Here's what happens to Pharaoh. Look at Exodus chapter 9, verse 27. Don't miss this. At the end of the hail, Pharaoh says this. Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron. I have sinned this time. And he said to them, the Lord is the righteous one. And I and my people are the guilty ones. Uh, do y'all remember when Pharaoh first said, who is the God of Israel that he's to tell me that y'all are about to leave and go party for three days in the wilderness? I don't think so. And now he says, not only do I recognize he's right and I'm wrong. Here's the problem, though. Here's the problem. When the hail stopped and ma'at was restored for two seconds, look at verse 34, a few verses later. Seven verses later, right? Pharaoh says this. When Pharaoh saw that the rain, hail, and thunder had ceased, he sinned again and hardened his heart, he and his officials. Let me, let me help you with something. Did you like that? I don't even know what that was like a little. I don't know what it was. No idea. Listen to me. There are way, way, way too many Christians that are only concerned with ma'at. I just want things to be quiet and calm and in order. And if that's the case, I'm good. You're just Pharaoh. I, I know God. And I'm good with God as long as everything's good with me. Do you know that's how it's been for millennia? Other deities can give you that. Other deities can give you order. Other deities can convince you that everything's okay if you just sacrifice to them and do things for them. God is not after ma'at. God is after full restoration. God is after owning everything. He's after redeeming every piece of you until you are made new. Which is why if you declare your loyalty to Jesus, he sends the Holy Ghost to be on site. All right, the foreman's here and he puts the hard hat on. Let's get to work, boys. Why does he do that with the Holy Ghost? Because he knows us. If the Holy Ghost didn't come and say, all right, set the tape up. This one's ours. We're going to start working on this one from now until eternity. We would turn back. We would be like, screw this. I'm going back to my old life. Bear your cross. Bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We need the Holy Ghost to do all those things. But if you're only concerned with, I just want my life to be good. <laughs> 
Yeah, that was what everybody wanted for eternity. God wants more than that. He wants you. And he wants when life sucks to still be with you and to still walk through. How do I, where do I see that? Jesus. I know that the price for your sin is heavy and it's weighty and it's massive and it's going to require death. I'll do it for you. I'll die for you. A friend that sticks closer than a brother. All the gods of this world, listen, all they have to offer you is peace. Jesus is taken up to the mountaintop with Satan and he says, look, all this will be yours. God says, you have never been willing to pay the price for that to actually happen. Never. Ma'at will not be restored in Egypt. Church, listen to me. Ma'at will never be restored in your life until you give Jesus your life. But no, it's like, in the heart. I get it. It's tough. Yes. That's life. Do it without him. It's the same. Do it with, do it with him. It just hits different. Why is that? Because he goes before you. I've said it over and over and over again. They still end up working in the wilderness. When they leave Egypt, they're working building the tabernacle. In Egypt, they were working build, building Pharaoh's death temples. They're still working. Work doesn't stop. But work for someone that works with you and for you is completely different than someone that's enslaving you. We in America are okay with pleasantries. We in America have been lulled to sleep with ma'at. As long as everybody's getting along, as long as my direct deposit is good, as long as my yearly physical is good, God must be what? That's the Egyptian way. What happens when it's not? I gotta go find out, I gotta go to God and figure it out. What if he's the God of the hills and valleys? What if he's the friend that's there during those times? What if the explanation is, is that he has suffered the most so that you can have fellowship in those times? But here's what Christians do. Uh, in and out of church, in and out. And if you're watching this morning and it's been a while, come back. I'm not making fun of you. Yeah, I am. No, I'm kidding. Just teasing. Look. When we start whining, say the ancient term, Mike, ma'at. Ma'at. It's like some kind of ode to Pharaoh. Look, here's the fine line, 12, 13. We're doing great. The fine line is in your heart. That's where it is. If you're viewing this life from a clear perspective, you will see that some allow the elements to dictate their worship. Don't do that. Seven verses before Pharaoh turned his heart hard again, he goes, I'm the problem, I'm, I'm a sinner, because life was bad. Life was good, I'm good, let's do this thing on our own again. Do you, did you just forget all of that? Couples that come into the office, ah, everything's all apart, ah! Let's put things in order, okay. Everything's great! I don't see them for a year. And then when I see them again, why? Everything's awful, ah! If we can take the year that everything that you said was good and build healthy spiritual habits where you get to know God as a friend and not as some big kind of person. <laughs> I wanted to say a word there. I'm glad I didn't. Not as someone that is just an exchange that's just giving you what you think you want. God's not a Coke machine. Maybe we would build strong marriages. 
Maybe we would build strong churches. Maybe we would have strong children. Because we're not after people just like, in this church, come on, you know we need this. Here's what we do. And I'll throw myself in the category, even though I know we don't do it as much, but kids are so annoying. Just give them a tablet. Just give them a phone. Restore ma'at in our house. Ma'at is not worth it. Just shut them up. As long as they're not making noise. First of all, they're a child. <laughs> if you, if you <laughs> with you, more kids, like let's just do the thing, you know? Work hard as a parent. Do what needs to be done as a Christian in your relationship with the Lord. Stop copping out. Stop settling for peace. It's only, it's not real peace. It's fabricated. As long as my wife gives me this, I'm happy, I'm good. No, you're not, clearly. There's something deeper that needs to be dug up. How do I know? As soon as the hail stopped, Pharaoh was right back to his old ways. And so were you, as long as everything's good. You have a hole in your heart. And until that hole is filled with the Holy Spirit and you say, I'm not concerned with everything being good, I'm just concerned with knowing you. Some people call it getting to know their higher power. Whatever, whatever vein you're coming from, the point is, is that God in this story has proven that he is the higher power. And your relationship with him is what is key to you coming out of exile. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.